Welcome to the Anxiety Lab. You specifically, welcome. This is a podcast where we talk about how mindfulness can help with anxiety and how mindfulness, and when I say mindfulness, just, just really observing the mind, observing what's happening, how, how that process can even help us get to know ourselves and, and help us uh, get to know reality better. I, I wanted something out there that could really speak to the confusion that everyday people, such as myself, feel when I try to apply mindfulness principles to to my complex life, right? And so that's what this is. I, I don't really say it up top every episode, although I'm thinking maybe I should. Who knows when someone tunes in? Uh, I read these blogs about best practices on a podcast. Yeah, make sure you state your what your podcast is every episode. Uh, so maybe I'm falling in line a little bit. I don't know if I'll do it every time. Uh, look at that. You're, you're already getting a window into my neuroses. What else can I say? It's a nice spring day. Once again, I'm in New York City right now, early April. And, and also with, with the vaccines happening and, and the weather warming up, it seems as though we're, we're getting to the good and, and we're getting to some fresh air, not just literally, but also in terms of uh, coming out of the, the pandemic and the lockdown. And I got to say, there's a part of me that gets a little anxious thinking about it because now there's events and things happening. The FOMO anxiety is has been a little bit dormant over the last year. I've enjoyed the constraints at times. I've also felt very, as I've talked about on this podcast, very depressed, anxious, um, you know, in the monotony, in not having things to look forward to not having my kind of armored suit of comedian as much as I had before. But, but there also has been a little bit of comfort in the structure. I, I haven't had to make a ton of decisions about whether to do this or that or hang out with this person or that person or the many ways one can spend a weekend. Uh, a lot of that just, yeah, drives me into pacing mode. And, and I feel like I feel like there will be a few think pieces out there, perhaps in the Atlantic or the New Yorker, about how someone would talk about this this dynamic of everything's better, we're supposed to be happy now, but I, I kind of miss when I just woke up and read inside all day because there was nothing else to do. Huh, what does that say about blah, blah, blah? Those will happen, those think pieces. And when they do, you can think of me. My guest today is the incredible Mike Kaplan. He is, in my opinion, one of the best comedians out there today. Watching him is, uh, it's a joy. He's just so smart, funny, uh, clever, mind-bending, word-bending. It's a, it's a little bit psychedelic because he, he just unravels and expands and intertwines things. And I, I just, you don't know where it's going. And, and it's just a, a joy, as I said, to be on that ride. As far as accomplishments, he's pretty much done everything there is to do in comedy. The Tonight Show, Conan, Letterman, James Corden, Seth Meyers, Comedy Central, Last Comic Standing. He's got an hour special on Amazon. His latest album, AKA, I, I have referred to it in the past as a mind-bending, word-bending tour de force. 
Uh, you could find that on all platforms. I I was listening to that album and I was like, you know, there there are so many bits on here. If they were on a different comedian's album, they would be the closer. And and he's got like a whole album full of them. Congrats on that, Mike. The other thing I want to say about Mike is in addition to being a phenomenal comedian, he's just such a warm, friendly person. I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years. We play ping pong and he'll just send me texts of gratitude. I, I appreciate you or, or just wishing you joy today, things like that. Maybe a random poem via email that moved him and that he's sharing. It, it's just great to to know someone who's so free and so loving, you know, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I will one day look back and, and be like, why why didn't I send more just random text to people I know of gratitude and appreciation and, and love? And, you know, Mike is free in that way. It's hard, For me, it's hard to just wake up on a random Wednesday and, and send a text like that. It, it, it's not the norm. It's not how we're used to interacting. But whenever I receive one like that, I, I it's moving. And, and so... Yeah, that, that quality of Mike's is, I, I would say, as remarkable as his comedic accomplishments. And and similarly, all, all of these qualities of Mike in terms of his, uh, yeah, just humor and depth and et cetera are, are on display during this conversation. And, and I'm excited for you to listen. As usual, if you could do me a favor, if you haven't already done this, uh, if you could rate and review me on Apple Podcasts, that would really help me out. If, if you have an Apple ID, most of you probably do, regardless of where you listen. Those of you who have left reviews, I, I have read them and I'm very touched that you took the time to do that. So if you don't mind uh, doing me that favor, if you're enjoying this, uh, that would be awesome. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts on this episode or any episode, you could reach me at theanxietylab at gmail.com or on Instagram, S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. And feel free to listen, if you enjoy this episode, to any of the other episodes. Um, I, I really have worked hard on this podcast and I'm proud of it. And you can, you know, the episodes are meant to be evergreen and not really serial. You can start with any episode you'd like. So, yeah, that's all I got for now. Here's Mike Kaplan. Please enjoy. Hello, I am here with Mike Kaplan. Hello, and I'm here with Sagar Bhatt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I was going to say, oh, my captain, Mike Kaplan. You know. Quoting you, actually. <laughs> it is, it's a thing that has been said to me, and then I have myself said it. I have been a conduit. I'm not the first person to ever acknowledge that, uh, oh, captain, my captain, sounds like you could, you could wonderfully include my name. Oh, oh Kaplan, Mike Kaplan. There have been many... Uh, many variations like you might be the first person to do it the exact way that you did it in fact so i i thank you for being uh whatever the variation on this universal theme and you can find all of those permutations in the episode description <laughs> uh you know i i've been wanting to have you mike honestly because i want this to be our official conversation on record not my episode of your podcast, where I would say I was nervous and intimidated by you at the time, and I'm not intimidated by you anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, I say that because, you know, you're one of the few people who, you know, a lot of times when you stop being intimidated by someone, it's because, you know, you've lost respect or maybe they fall from a pedestal. But in your case, I, I, my respect for you is as high as it's ever been. 
It's just that I find you less intimidating because you've you've simply been so kind to me as a person. I appreciate that, and I might add that perhaps, I mean, the only other logical possibility is that while I have risen in your esteem, you also must have risen even more in your own esteem to meet me at this higher level where you've been all along. So you're, so you're saying in order for me to perceive, I have to have some of that in me already? Uh that is uh, a sen- that is certainly true. Whether that's exactly what I was saying, uh, I like the interpretation, but I do not even but. And I feel like we've probably, I've shared this with you ever since uh, Rini, my wonderful girlfriend, shared it with me, the idea that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And so, uh, which I like uh, pairing along with this, uh, maybe we've, I, I'm like everything that I say to you. I'm like maybe I've said this before, but event eventually we'll get to something new. Uh, I bet. But uh, on the show Justified, uh, the main character Raylan, played by Timothy Oliphant, uh, at one point said a thing that I love so much. Uh, I should find out who wrote it or where it came from. But I'm as far as I know, this fictional character, this fictional <laughs> Western U.S. marshal type uh, or actual said. Uh, if you meet an asshole in the morning, you met one asshole. If you meet assholes all day, you're the asshole. So I say that to sort of temper the idea that uh, w- when I say we see the world not as it is, but as we are, like the a joke idea that I've thought of associated with that, that imagine like rejecting that or resisting that and being like, oh, so you're saying that whatever I think someone else is must necessarily be what I am? Like, well, I think that guy's a pilot. Does that mean that I'm actually the pilot? Like, that that is not a literal uh, translation, but uh, but certainly metaphorically and emotionally, yes. I think that to perceive someone as kind is a kind way to be. So to perceive kindness there almost uh, necessarily must be kindness within you. I, I accept that. And uh, I, I, take, I accept the credit and the wisdom. And I will also say, if I'm being honest, the asshole part of, applies to me too. Because all day I go around and battle people in my head, fake arguments. I'm always kind of and, – and I mean this is a – I guess a reflection of, of my shame and my own self-hatred is that I'm always – you know, waging war on others as a way of maybe defending myself, which means I'm feeling as though I'm at my core deserving of some kind of attack or something, you know, there, there's something that's, there's, it's, it's, I'm definitively weak to the point that leaves me susceptible to attack. So I'm always, you know, arguing with people in my head. So it's both. It, it's, I, I am, I perceive kindness in others in, in moments where I'm maybe open and a little bit present, and I'm also perceiving hostility. But but you know you are. I, I've never perceived hostility in you, so that that's that is something. I appreciate it. I think that I think that if you had known me years and years ago, like I think that there are people who probably have rightly uh, interpreted hostility from me at various points in my life. I'm not you know immune to. Uh, you know, if I'm hungry or cranky or tired or thirsty or, uh, other, you know, I've had whatever kind of day or week or month yeah. or portion of life. Like, I've been very fortunate. I feel very grateful for so much of what I've experienced. And also there are, of course, ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Uh, and 
I do remember I, I can relate to what you're expressing that there there certainly are and or have been times in my life that I have uh, ex externalized me like that person, you know, is that person having success at me? Is that person, you know, achieving something that I'm not as a Yeah, that that idea of having success at you. It, it's such a felt experience. I mean, that 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 is the best language to put on that experience. I'm not always able to phrase it that uh, succinctly. But that is the feel like every success, everyone out there who's doing stuff, mainly comedians because that's the arena I'm playing in. Uh, who are doing better than me? I, obviously, I rationally know that they're not doing this towards me at all, or that you know I, I don't even exist to most of them. Um, but the feeling is that it, their success is proof of my own deficiency, because if I were good and true, I would also be doing that. So, so back back to this. I, I want to fully pay off this quote that you submitted. Please, to our producers course. and and <laughs> the source and both you were vetted intensely. Uh, this is by Shunryu Suzuki. Am I pronouncing Shunryu correctly? Uh, yeah, I think that you have just as good a chance. I don't think I've ever heard this person speak it. I'm pretty confident that Suzuki is the last name, and I I think I always say Shunryu. Yeah. Uh, somehow making R Y U one syllable as possible. Shunryu Suzuki, but right. it might be Shunryu. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know much about him. I he is, um, I guess, very important in the Soto Zen lineage and uh, is credited for popularizing Zen in the U.S. I'm just reading from Wikipedia. Of course, um, but th that just I think, gives you a flavor. Yeah, I believe I'm only familiar with him because of probably a Pema Chodron book. I've read many books by Pema Chodron. And she sometimes quotes Buddhist teachers, and I believe my guess is that she is the person who uh, cited this particular quote that I have remembered and uh, paraphrased, and then looked up and cut and paste exactly many times since. Well, here it is: each of you is perfect the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. I'll say that again. Each of you is perfect the way you are, and you can use a little improvement. I think that uh, the first time you read it was perfect, but the second time was even a little improved. I, I agree. I agree, and that <laughs> that was not intentional. Uh, I, I mean, was going to even it, not even keep that first read in, haha. <laughs> but I have to now. Uh, you you get to if you want to. Yeah the the first part of it I also have heard. Uh, recently, I watched um, a Russell Brand podcast uh, with the guest Brene Brown, and uh, I like both of those people very much, and I thought that conversation was super. And one of the things that Brene talked about, Brene Brown talked about, was um, the research that she does into, I think she did some studies of compassionate people, talked to monks and nuns, uh, among probably some non-monks and non-nuns, and like sort of came up with, you know, a pool of people. Uh, that they came up with some metrics of like, oh, like who who are the compassionate people? And now, what is the what are the commonalities? I'm sure that she has methodologies to demonstrate if you have questions about how are these people found, selected, assessed. Uh, I'm she's a scientist. I'm sure she. I I I have faith in her science. And uh, the thing that she said that really stuck with me is uh, that 
one thing that's common to uh, compassionate people. Uh, the more compassionate a person is, the more likely they are to agree with the statement, the idea that everyone is doing the best that they can. Right. Uh, so every in this life, every one of us started as a baby. And as babies, we didn't really have control over our life, our limbs, our, our consciousness, anything. We uh, Things happened to us. Things happened at us. And then those and those things shaped us. And it seems difficult to point to like a moment in time when, aha, now that's where I became the version of myself that's completely in control. You know, like, is it when I'm 16, when I'm 18, when I'm 21, when I'm 25 and my brain is, quote unquote, done in. But our brains are, you know, everything is. Con, you know, in in flux constantly, uh, whether you think about it spiritually or scientifically, like the the molecules, the energy, uh, the the Buddhists say, I believe that every moment, like every time your fingers snap, uh, I believe every impermanent object, which is every object, uh, dissipates, and, or I think arises, abides dissipates and rearises 360 times i believe they say some buddhists say only 60 times but some the uh, i think the the overarching one is like the 360 to 360 times per moment everything is constantly cycling in and out of uh this impermanent existence and and so there's no way in which like there's a poet named mark nepo who has this uh he wrote this thing that I like about a flower, about how you can't f make a flower grow at a different rate than it is growing. You know, like like out there in a rose coming up, like it's, and at no point is it like doing it wrong. You know, it's not like, hey, come on, you know, open, open faster, you know, and, and the same is so for us as well. Like we are, you know, potentially now I like, I'm grateful that I am ahead on the, the various paths that I am from where I was five years ago, 10 years ago, as a child, as a teenager. And, and also I know that I'm still not done and that there is improvement, uh, to move forward through. So we are all right. Uh, you know, even, even people who are harming other people, uh, even ourselves when we harm other people, like in that moment, that is the best that we could do based on everything that was coming before us. Because if it's what we are doing and did do, that's, uh, I don't mean to necessarily get into a discussion of free will versus determinism, but uh, you can, I mean, it's out of my depth, but let's just try to go there a little. Okay. I mean, my understanding is that Essentially, we don't have free will, but it is much more valuable for us to uh, act as though we do for us to because we if you think that you that nothing you do matters, then you might not do anything. And then at the end of your life, you can be like, look, I was right. I was fated to do nothing. But if you if you think, well. I, if I don't have free will, it doesn't mean that you know what your fate is, what you know you're destined to do. You don't know the future. You only know what you what it seems like you can do. In there, It seems that there are some things that we have more control over uh, than not. And even if that is right. an illusion, 
uh, it's a it's it feels valuable to you know pedal through the illusion. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's tricky stuff, and you know I could have this idea of oh I, well I am in my meditation practice uh, detaching from these things that were conditioning me towards hatred and maybe harm, and now I am what's the word overriding these tendencies and maybe overriding my fate. But no, well, that could also be my, my fate is that I was going to do these things, but that that's okay. It's as you said, it's like it, it can all exist in this awareness of let's just be aware of, of the good that's in me. And if that is unfolding and, and me, I'm an active participant in that unfolding. I am also a part of the cosmos. You know, I'm, I'm not separate. My, my intention to want to, you know, whatever grow isn't separate from the universe and and conditioning so that that could also be a part of conditioning but it's there and so i'm i'm kind of riding it i mean this is all stuff um i'm out of my depth on but i i like what you said about well yeah we can just assume that we have free will that that's a good kind of uh mo to to operate on but Going back to this quote, it has to do with this definition of perfect. You know, you are perfect just the way you are. That doesn't mean that um, eating more kale won't help you, or it doesn't mean that stopping drinking or whatever someone's bad habit is, or or whatever, you know, be nicer to people. Obviously, would would cause more good in the world. But what you're saying, and what he's saying, is this idea of of getting rid of blame. So I, I can acknowledge, you know, often it's talked about, well, they're doing the best they can. That That's most often um, talked about with regards to parenting. Like, you know, your parents, they did the best they can. They, they did the best they could. They, they beat you with uh, a lizard. They took your lizard out of its lizard aquarium, grabbed it by the tail, and slapped you senselessly with it, killing the lizard and, and breaking bones in your face. Um, and, and that was the best they could do. And that that's all they can do. <laughs> and, and you know, in a way, it's like, yeah, well, that's, you know, if we're talking about trees and people being similar in that, well, that's just how they are. That's the conditions in the universe happen in a way that molecules collided and then suddenly you're getting smacked in the face. I don't know why this analogy got so dark. This is totally outside the tone of what this podcast is. But, but you know, if it resulted in that scenario, well, then that that was... That that's who they were in that moment, and they couldn't. You you can't ask a, you can't ask someone who's not self-aware to be more self-aware. It's a complete paradox, I guess. And and so that's that's who they were at the time. That's not to say that there wasn't harm caused by their action, and and sympathy needed for the victims of these actions, and action you know when necessary to stop this harm from happening. Yes, and you know I, I'll also I'll add to that point. I'm glad that you went in this direction because one of the other things that Brene Brown said uh, that compassionate people are good at is having good boundaries. And she gave a specific example that combines the idea of compassionate people having good boundaries and being more likely to think that everyone is doing the best that they can. Uh, she said that in when, when women, uh, or I think any people, but she I think she gave the example of women who were in abusive relationships, like uh, who were in a domestic partnership of some kind and they were being harmed specifically, uh, a woman who truly was more compassionate and believed that their partner was doing the best that they could was more likely to leave, to protect herself, to get out of that situation, as opposed to being like, this isn't his best, he could do better, like I, I know I can stay and help him and fix him, but 
to look at what had happened. And it's not to say that he can't get better or that this person can't eventually get help. But at that time, while that harm is being done and looking back at, you know, perhaps the pattern of abuse, the cycles of abuse. Yeah. That that a woman who was like and it's not to say that it can't be also like there might not be anger, there might not be other emotions, but that it is a. A, a thing a thing to be compassionate to oneself to remove oneself from that situation and that that coincides like we've been talking about with in a way a compassionate understanding that this person is uh not you know they're like as self-aware as a storm you know a storm is can yes. be, can hurt a person and it doesn't make as much logical rational sense to be mad at you know the intentions of a storm because there's a a thing that we I'm sure we've talked about that uh, Rini, my girlfriend, introduced me to uh, from the the spiritual text A Course in Miracles, which is the idea that everything in life is either a every action is either a call for love or an offering of love, and an offering of love is uh, more easy to spot. I think we're like, oh, that that's a loving action that makes sense. That's an offering of love, but that a call for, like call for love includes under its umbrella like literally asking explicitly asking like i need something but also when a person is uh angry or aggressive or mean or insulting or uh whatever it is like that is because of this this other i feel like brene brown uh said this and or i looked it up and i think richard Rohr has a quote about pain that is not transformed will be transmitted and so anyone who is transmitting pain, anyone who is causing harm, like must have been the same way to see kindness. You must be kind to see assholery. You must have at least some assholery, uh, a detector within you. Uh, if, if, you know, the, the, the classic hurt people hurt people like yeah. that. Anyone who is harming someone was a child and something happened between, you know, they're in their nature nurture combo in their genetic and environment cocktail that led them to be the person who is causing this harm which doesn't mean that you have to be compassionate with them right there next to them receiving the pain that they are delivering upon you you can be be understanding and empathetic and compassionate as much as you can from afar from safety from health uh and uh, and it's not necessarily even if that person is calling for love it's not every individual's job to uh offer the love you know put on your own love mask first and then and love the people that are near you that you want to be near you your your chosen yeah. family and such uh but yeah that i i do think of such people as like storms because it doesn't mean ignore it it means you know like take care of yourself and, you know, keep yourself safe uh, and healthy as possible. And then also, like, the the thing that you pointed out of, like, blaming isn't necessarily uh, always the most helpful, productive, effective method of moving forward. I, I guess what's at the root of that is this feeling of, well, why couldn't you have been otherwise? Mm-hmm. Which, which is not, obviously, there's still room to fight when fight is needed. I guess the recent calls for racial justice come to mind in terms of fierce action is is absolutely a part of dealing with you know these storms but but the compassion is the skillful perspective as well in terms of well you know people are acting out of pain people are acting 
who have their own histories and you know they don't have the wherewithal to 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 see things from maybe a more enlightened vantage point or a more compassionate vantage point and and so yeah and i and i guess that's where all of that can be reconciled is is you know action along with compassion yes not not simply thoughts and prayers but uh ac- action and compassion in <laughs> action together i like that so yeah i mean it is cool to look at this quote and how it applies to people who are causing harm. But what does it mean for you personally, uh, this notion of you're perfect the way you are and you can use some improvement? Sure. Uh, and I, I only can share how it relates to me and, you know, whatever it means to you uh, can be your own perhaps entirely separate thing. Um, I So a year ago, uh, this year I was going to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Fest again with the new hour that I was working on uh, leading up to before the pandemic began. Uh, and the hour is called Imperfect or I'm Perfect, like the letters I and M, a different color than perfect. So looking at it in writing. I and, remember seeing stuff for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my friend Ramin Nazer, uh, who makes wonderful artwork, uh, did uh, did some art for it uh, on top of a photo taken by Mindy Tucker, both wonderful uh, art creators uh, combining uh, their Voltron powers to help me. Um, and the, the general theme of the hour is that I was ways that I'm glad I have grown to not be, that I was ignorant, uh, let perhaps in relationships, in society, you know, as as a man, as a boyfriend, as a human, as a, you know, as everything that I've been. Like I'm, I do think that I'm a little, a little better now, uh, and and part of that is because uh, in the Talmud, uh, a rabbi says something like. The I have one piece of paper in one pocket that says this world was created for you and one piece of paper in the other pocket that says uh, we are nothing but ash and dust or you are nothing but ash and dust. And that uh, these are both in some ways true uh, and that some balance like I, I think of it like if you think, you know, like to ourselves, like to I, I am I, the only consciousness that I have access to, it seems right now is mine this one right here like this is to me it seems like i am at the center of the universe i know that that is the way that it seems for everyone and that i also know uh as objectively as i can that the universe is so vast in time and space that the speck that i am uh in comparison to it is you know approaching nothing uh, as well as being the only everything that I have access to. So in some ways, I am nothing and everything, almost. And so I like thinking that, you know, I, I offer to others and I offer to myself that, like, if I find myself thinking, like, too much, one way, leaning one way, I'm like, oh, I'm, hey, this is great, everything. I'm like, well, remember, also nothing. Huh. Or if getting into the headspace of, like, ah, nothing. But, but also everything, the only thing. Oh, yeah, I, I love that. Uh and and for me, this notion of am I nothing, am I everything, how big am I exactly, one way to think about this stuff is, well, what what even is this division between myself and the rest of the world? 
And, you know, the more I read or the more I read, uh, I also have read, um, the more Buddhism and science points to this, this line between us and everyone else isn't as solid as, as it appears. You know, it, it even just out, apart from the metaphysical stuff that I don't understand, it, you know, just look at it as, as I am breathing in oxygen, I am breathing out CO2, which, and that fuses into other parts of nature. Uh, the thoughts I'm having right now in my mind are affected by something that you just said to me and, and the world around me. I'm, I'm drinking water right now. I'm eating food. All of the processes and people and machines that went into this very bottle that I'm drinking from, not to mention the nourishment I'm getting from it and then what that will lead to as far as action and energy that I put back out. So, so you know, when, when I think of us as these small little meaningless specks of dust you know, what that analogy doesn't quite cover is this interconnection, the sunlight nourishing us, our body converting that into energy. You get it. I, I, you know, all of these people in my life who've, who've helped me, vice versa. Um, so, so in that sense, this all brings me closer to, you know, the, this sense of interconnection brings me closer to this expansiveness that allows me to maybe see things from a perspective beyond this this limited small self this separate self right oh yes uh i think what you've said makes a lot of sense and uh specifically like the idea that you are everything does not mean to me that you know you are like you are everything that you are and i am everything that i am and also everything that we each are is in influx itself as you say with the various you know air water uh, and food elements that travel through us and what happens specifically to our molecules and that you know when we when we smell another person that means that part of them uh, is now in our nostrils like there are particles that uh, that that is how that happens that there's oh, a constant transfer uh, of of what like so the, the the limits the boundaries of you know who we are who we conceive of ourself ourselves as like we could you know you could get real far into the weeds uh, perhaps if you're real far into the weed and and be <laughs> like well then like if if we don't even know exactly where we end and begin like what is anything but also i'm i'm reminded of a ramdas quote that i'll paraphrase something like i feel like the the situation is like coming out of a like a meditative like consciousness state just like a a, a blissful you know every all is one presence being here now is like ah yes we're all one but that's my stereo. Yeah, like we, we all understand. I mean, it seems to me, I won't speak for everyone, but it seems to me that you and I both understand. I'm like, you know, I'm over here. You're over there. What do these things like? like I still I'm still having uh, I'm still working on wrapping my mind uh, around the concept of the impermanent self in Buddhism, which is essentially like I can. In the in the grandest scheme of things, I'm like I know that uh, Michael Adam Kaplan, uh, this this being here, didn't uh, wasn't alive before 1978, and at some point, this being Michael Adam Kaplan probably won't be alive after I don't know. Let's say I'll give myself a hundred years. Let's say 2078. Let's say let's say 2178. I'll give myself 200 years. 
So like, I know that. And so I know that impermanence exists on that scale, zoomed out that far, like that this, this body isn't permanent. Yeah. But also at like in the zoomed in all the way to the 360, you know, rotations of existence per sec per moment that the Buddhists, uh, purport, <laughs> um, I also know that, yeah, like, I mean, we know that we've heard every seven years, all different cells, all different skin cells, at least, whatever that thing is. But also, and I have some st some jokes about this because I have a, a physicist friend who has shared with me that, like, it is moment to moment, like, there are quarks and electrons and uh, subatomic particles and such that uh, that are constantly, like, switching, you know, uh, places in and out of ex existence, like, that there is... There's never any one thing that you can point to and be like, okay, like pause and that's me. And yet also, <laughs> right. uh, I'm like, I know what me is. Like, this is my stereo. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so there's this academic knowledge of how the body works and how things regenerate and studies of consciousness. Um, but it's also available through direct experience. And, and this is one of the benefits of, of mindfulness is really staying present to, to what the mind is doing to build space around it. And, you know, that's a way to experience impermanence directly. For me, it's noticing how often I see myself in my mind's eye and, and really up until a few years ago, I really believed those images as, as being definitively me. And, and the closer I look, it's like, no, that's just one perspective of me from a certain angle and yet when I'm not aware of this I'm, I'm kind of drunk on it I, I get attached to it or I run away from it you know if it's in that moment a bad image I, but but either way I feel that it's definitive but you know with mindfulness and, and just paying attention the closer I look the less solid it is and and you I, I can experience it as dreamlike and this part, as I said, really just has to be experienced and, and observed for it to land. And, and it's crazy because when I'm not able to observe it mindfully, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so just drunk and carried away on these images. I start to chase after them and chase these daydreams. And, and they can really define my sense of purpose because they, they contain such promise. And, and these promises turn out to be false. Like, like going back to talking about winning the lottery, I think when I imagine myself winning the lottery, there, there's some sense within that fantasy of a self that, that's experiencing this windfall and, and this self appears as kind of like, yeah, I'll permanently become this person. And, and, and it's that place where we can really observe and like, oh man, I, I, yeah, I am assuming some solidity that, that isn't there. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to say too, is in working with these teachings, it's, it's not, oh, it doesn't always have to be this seemingly overwhelming task of, oh, if I can just perceive impermanence, let's, let's try to perceive that. But rather, why don't I start by noticing when I'm clinging to, to permanence and seeing where that's diluted? You know what I mean? Like it, rather than chasing awakening, let, let, let's just first notice the ways that I'm asleep. And then let's get to know that. It, it, it's it's a it's about pulling things away that aren't so solid. I like it. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. <laughs> Word.
Ha. Yeah, that's that's nice. I like that idea a lot. I like that you have whenever we talk, we don't always think and say the exact same things, but we understand the things that the other person is saying even if they're not necessarily, you know, the way that we live, think, do, behave, you know, resonate, but uh, I'm like, "Oh, that is like is there a way that I can, is there a way that I do that? Or is there a way that I can do that? Because that does sound uh, like a valuable tool in the old uh, self or non-self examining toolbox. Right. And another question I would ask is when you're suffering, you know, examine how much of that suffering has to do with, you know, selves that you're holding on to, running away from. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can, if I may, I'll share with you an ayahuasca ceremony in which I experienced a fair amount of uh, challenging emotions uh, in a different way than I normally do. Uh, I would say that at this point I had done at least a handful of ceremonies such that I had at least an idea of what a ceremony, like, could be like or the prototypical shape of it even if like there were so many different kinds so many uh different ways for them to go that it feels even silly uh to say something like this to but without disclaiming it heavily but at least there were there were times when like the the emotional shape of it was something like uh anxious and challenging at the beginning going through what I feel like sometimes Ramdas would call like a uh, in meditation kind of like an asteroid field and then getting through to the other side of the asteroid field and then being in the space in the headspace in the uh, the space of the experience and I'd had that happen uh, at least some number of times if not exactly like that enough that I was like that's a thing that has happened and so can happen, and like maybe that's what'll happen here. And weirdly, I'd done a, a, cer a ceremony just two days earlier where it went exactly like that. I was so anxious, partially because I had like I'd I had a show that night, and it was during the day that I was doing it, and I was like worried that I'm like, what will I be like? You know, will I have come back down all the way enough? Uh, it was something that I wouldn't necessarily schedule as such again, but it did ultimately work out. Uh, and even ultimately in the experience, I, when I got through the asteroid belt, I was like, here I am. And like, whatever happens like later, like I can't control what's going to happen later. I'm, I'm here. Uh, and, and then I'll keep being here. And like, I was a little, a little something later, but the show, the show, I was myself and the show was the show. Um, I wasn't unable to do it. Um, yeah, which is a testament to your chops as a comedian. I appreciate it. I thought during the experience, I'm like, maybe I'll only be able to talk about this experience the whole time uh, because that was all that it was in that time. But so now two days later, I'm going to another another ayahuasca ceremony experience. And I'm two like... Two days later? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I want to ask you more about that, but uh, no, no, please continue. So... Two days later, I, and I would say there was a time when I would be doing, like, sometimes one ceremony a month. Sometimes 
the guide that I would go to would do like two nights in a row or a night and then a morning. And so there's there's multiple times that I'd done multiple ceremonies in a weekend. Um, sometimes it's recommended. Sometimes, you know, you get to decide for yourself. But this time, and it was interesting because the one, the first one was on this, on a Friday that I felt anxious because of the time schedule thing. And that was like in another, in another city, not where I lived. Uh, and it was unfamiliar circumstances in a lot of ways, but ultimately I ended up being like, ah, there, there we are. Um, and the, the time, the two days later one Sunday back home in New York in at the, the place where I've done ceremonies the most kind of like this home space. And I came in completely calm and I was like, ah, this is like no, nowhere to go, nowhere to be like nothing, nothing constraining me like that. And then for, so I started calm and then I was like, how will this go? And then I descended into anxiety. Uh, in a way that had never happened specifically this way before. And it was challenging, painful at times. You know, uh, the only like respites that I felt were moments when I realized that I wasn't entitled to a specific way of feeling that I had in my head the same way, mm. like, oh, I'm doing, a, I want to be a podcast. I'm a podcaster now. Now I have to do podcasts. I, now I was like, I'm a guy who has this kind of experience. And now I wasn't a guy who was having that kind of experience. I was having a different experience and the discrepancy in my expectation, my, my wish, my desire, my thought for what should be happening. I was like, in my mind, I felt maybe I explicitly stated, I was like, I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. Like, I'm not supposed right. to be feeling bad. Like, can I talk to Ayahuasca's manager? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not supposed to. And then it, at some moments, I would, be, I would think that or feel that and then be like, I would laugh at myself. I mean, who, who told you, me? Who told you that you weren't supposed to? Who told you that this, what is happening, isn't what is supposed to be happening because it is what's happening. Yeah. And I would kind of have the, this is like maybe a, a cutesy, clever way of describing it, but I'd be like, oh, right. I'm not supposed to be feeling good. Remembering that makes me feel good. Like, oh, maybe. Yeah. So. And, and to, oh, no, I was just going to say, so, so to answer that question, who told you? I mean, I, I guess you told yourself yes. unconsciously leading up to that moment. You know, where you were maybe going into that day, I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe even chasing an experience, right? Perhaps. And so two, two things specifically. One, I think I was telling myself based on the descriptive nature of the past experiences I had. I'm like, oh, when it in the past, it has gone like this. So this time i'm like statistically probabilistically like this is what i'm i had expectations even though the guide yeah. sometimes says don't come in with expectations like let let the, you know let what happens happen be shown what you are shown uh and you know what is necessary to happen is what will happen uh essentially i'm paraphrasing um but also i think i had the idea that the story would be i like constructed the story that the the one the earlier one started anxious and ended uh less anxious and i was like oh yeah because of the 
the circumstances surrounding it uh, made sense to be like that. But now the circumstances are different. So I inter- I was like, the circumstances are different. So now it's going to be start not anxious, get even, you know, who knows how great it's going to be. But it instead it was like, oh, no, no. The, the expectation right. led to, uh, you know, like if you put your hand under cold water and then you put it under... Uh, room temperature water, it feels warm. You put it under hot water first and then put it under room temperature water, uh, it feels cold. Like our our expectations and the circumstances around, you know, how we live, like either the thoughts that we have and the experiences that we have, like can help or hinder the shaping of the next experience. So I guess that's what it's there to reveal is, is oh, maybe yeah. those tendencies and that's kind of... Yeah, the work is in dealing with what's happening. It's not some kind of predetermined, you know, it's like you, you, you had a concept of elevated consciousness where, where you left stuff out maybe in terms of what was going to happen. I have a, a good buddy uh, who went through a breakup several years ago and uh, he'd been in the relationship for several years. It was like a big thing and uh, it wasn't an easy decision. Uh, you know, they, they loved each other, but it was, there were, you know, incompatibilities, circumstances that kept them, uh, from being the best partners for each other. Uh, but I remember him, him saying, sharing that he had like at least a sort of epiphany eventually that he was, you know, struggling with this, challenged by this after the relationship ended, Like he's like, I, you know, didn't understand some aspect of it. And then he's like, oh, like it finally came to me. Like the missing ingredient, the thing that I wasn't acknowledging was, oh yeah, it's sad. Like yeah. that, and that is something that I, I've had experiences with. Like let's say when I'm physically ill, sometimes then I'm like, well, I, I think I'm supposed to do a lot of things, but I, I can't. I'm, oh yeah, I'm, I'm physically ill, so I don't have. To, I'm not gonna go exercise as extensively as I would have if I wasn't physically ill. Sometimes I don't realize, you know, if I'm haven't had enough water in a day, hadn't eaten recently, hadn't gotten enough sleep, like having the real, oh, I was thirsty. Oh, I was tired. Oh, I was hungry. Oh, I was sick. Oh, I'm human. Like, oh, it's a pandemic. Oh, it's sad. Like, oh, of course, like that there are these stories, constructions, institutions, ideas, some gifted us by, you know, our parents, our families, our society, our, our past, our history, and some that we construct some, I constructed this in this particular situation for myself, like just days earlier, you know, and, and or months earlier over the course of leading to that particular experience. And so, yeah, I feel like that is a thing that now is like a, a broader, valuable, like, uh, heuristic for like when I am uncomfortable, when I am struggling with something, challenged with something, there are these things that I can check to be like, and it's not to say that there always needs to be a reason. Like the reason can be simply as like, you know, I'm alive and like statistically these, you know, this emotional roller coaster goes to right. all these places uh, and to allow and accept and let go and, you know, and forgive myself in those moments, you know, and be, be compassionate. It was just like, you know, another tool for, uh, for self-compassion. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well said. So I, I want to go back to ayahuasca. I have a specific question um, sure. going back to just talking about the frequency of doing it. 
And for you, it did turn out that that second day was beneficial. I'm, but I'm always thinking about stuff like that because for someone like me, I'm, I could be a pleasure addict. And ayahuasca psychedelics are often talked about in a different way than cocaine and heroin as in, okay, well, these are the bad drugs, but psychedelics aren't addictive. They're enriching, if anything. Uh, and, and for me, I've, I've done psychedelics a few times and I've loved those experiences, but there's still a certain bliss about those experiences that I am like, I'm, I'm, attra- I'm attracted to. Like as much as psychedelics are talked about as being not addictive, there is a part of me that's craving these experiences, you know, and I, in a way that I can kind of see sober reality as, as not being enough. And so that I need more, I need something elevated, I need some kind of psychedelic awakening. And, and then, so in that way, it, it can function as an escape. So that's a point of concern for me with psychedelics. I'm curious to know what your experience is with that. Sure. Uh, I'll speak uh, briefly for now and extensively next time. But uh, (laughs) I would say that I've done uh, mushrooms more than a few times, and I've done ayahuasca more than a few times, and they're similar in some ways, uh, and I think your assessment of them is valuable though in my experience both of them like after a few times like ayahuasca specifically i did twice uh in like maybe 2014 for the first time and the second time and they were blissful in different ways both almost entirely and it was like something i had never experienced i felt like you know just like love being channeled um and and it's funny because i'm kind it's kind of like uh, I've never I've never explicitly stated it like this because the third time I did it was painful in ways, uh, still meaningful and valuable. Ultimately, afterwards, I I was like that one. I mean, might have been even more. Like I could tell you things that I specifically like learned and gleaned and like about you know pain that I had experienced. Like you know people who I had uh, you know hurt the feelings of that like visited me, um, and. And so I feel like in some ways it's like that uh, the first two times were like a, like a drug dealer giving me some for free. Be like, here, yeah, you want this, you want this bliss? Like, and then now, now you're, now you're hooked. And, uh, and like, well, here's, here's the work. Here's the real stuff, you know? Um, and it's not to say that it's, it's again, not one or the other. Like there's, in Peruvian lore, I believe the, the the heavenly realm, the earthly realm, and then the realm of the dead, the underworld, and that these are all like you know, if you talk to people who are like, do you see snakes? You know, like they're represented by like the snake, the cat, and the condor, and that sometimes you know you go, sometimes it is a roller coaster through all of them. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's one of the others. Uh, often it has elements of of uh, you know more than one thing happening. But, uh, and mushrooms similar to me in that, like the first few times I did it, they were like, mushrooms can be like an amazing, like just blissful time alone or with friends or loved ones. And then sometimes I think more often when I'm alone, if I've done it, uh, that it can, but actually one time, one time I did too many, too much, too much. And it became an emotionally overwhelming time. And I just like curled Mm. up in a fetal position and had to wait for the, the ocean of emotions to subside, uh, being right. as, as not even 
all painful, but just like so swirly, like the, the way that I think to put it is I would, between when I started a sentence and ended a sentence, the emotion would change. I would be like, oh, I'm feeling bad now, you know? Huh. And so I've had that experience with mushrooms and I, I'm not going to promise that it would happen to you necessarily if you do it enough, but that uh, at a certain point, like it can be like, it can open things up in a different way than just the, the bliss channel. Well, well, yeah. And that to me, I mean, I guess that's why I asked this because I guess, you know, there has to be for me a, a something that carries over into sober day-to-day reality and, oh, yeah. and, and there always has been and I guess when I'm at the point where I am really craving it as if it's something that's not here you know whereas right here isn't enough I need something else that's the kind of the the uh, psychology of a drug addict I, now I haven't been addicted to drugs I'm fortunate in that way but I've, I've I definitely have cravings you know I, I um dabbled in some marijuana smoke and there were times where you know when i wake up on a day where i'm not going to get high i'm like oh well this is this day is oh this is just an off day this is this is not the real day tomorrow will be the real day ah. and and so i can i could feel that happening a little bit with psychedelics and that attachment and i think for me it's really you know finding maybe a little bit more ground without any chemical enhancement and and that will only enable me to enter those experiences you know, from, from a different place and, and maybe get even more out of them. That sounds very valuable for sure. Like you get to decide, people have asked the guide, the ayahuasca guide, like when's, how's like, what's the most, what's the best amount of time to do it? Like how long should I wait until next time? And he's like, you, you get to decide that, you know, you, you know, when you're ready or, you know, for whatever kind of experience, like then there's, talks about monks who have like trained their minds with psychedelics I've read about, you know, who then eventually the goal, I think Ramdas says a thing like the goal of meditating is not to become the best meditator. You know, it's that specifically exactly what you said, that the lessons that you hopefully like learn or insights that you glean or that come to you or uh, arise like that. Those are things that then remain and then you can apply moving forward in your life to have every day be the day. Exactly, exactly. So let's, let me just circle back to this quote just to see if there's any more meat on the bone. <laughs> Each of you is perfect the way you are, and you can use a little improvement. I guess in terms of improvement, I, I just want to maybe speak on that a little bit. Uh, because where where I land with that is yeah improvement is okay you know like take the example of somebody or me who I want to be healthier and I want to start working out well why I, I think you know if I want to work out because I want to feel better or I've the days where I'm more physically active I feel good and I want to have more days like that and I want to expand that feeling because. I'm drawn to it. Now that, that to me is, you know, moving towards something that feels good. The times when it's maybe less healthy is when I am working out because I feel like if I'm out of shape, I'm not worthy. And if I'm doing it to maybe achieve a sense of worthiness, like, yeah, sure, I'll still have health benefits and I'll feel better and get that endorphin rush. And I, that's not to say I shouldn't work out, but 
I'll still keep this mechanism in place of, of it being tied to my self-worth and I'm still just hung up on me and my unworthiness. I, I hear you. In fact, I mean, of course, people can have perhaps an unhealthy attachment to quote-unquote health. Um, like there are people, you know, if we're like, oh, you should – like I, I have a friend who was like going to the gym every morning and working out real hard and then like, you know, had a, a muscle pain, uh, goes to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you – if you want to not feel that pain, you have to not work out that much. This is sort of like the flip side of yeah, yeah. Uh, like there, there is no one size fits all, like right quality or quantity. Uh, so like the idea of you get to decide, whoever you are, like you, Sagar, get to decide. You, listener, get to decide. You, me, get to decide. Like what what improvement is possible, desirable? Like, uh, and it's not to say like I think. Like as a comedian, like, do you always want to be getting funnier? Do you always want to be getting more yourself? Do you always want to be getting, you know, to be saying more important, like philosophical things? You know, like sometimes Carlin was a poet. Sometimes, you know, he wasn't always getting a laugh every however many seconds. And it's not because uh, he wasn't trying to. I mean, it is because he wasn't trying to probably. Uh, and so for all of us, for, for anyone the i feel like this quote the the lack of specificity of what improvement means is like makes it a valuable kind of rorschach for you know what does it mean for you like if you think that you're like do, are you perfect completely already as is then great then then help everyone else and if not like what are the ways that you can you know today in this moment work on what are the ways that we can work on ourselves be it our physical health in balance with our mental health in balance with our you know emotional spiritual professional personal interpersonal like there's none of these are the wrong thing to think about uh and any one of them if thought about to the exclusion of some others might you know might leave us less balanced it, it's just so fluid as you said and, it's all about oh yeah, yeah. Uh, i'll 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 add one last thing about the quote, which is uh, I I do I love it, and I also love that. Uh, first of all, I don't think there's we could talk. I think you and I could both talk for hours and hours and hours, and it would be valuable and meaningful and interesting. Though the library would close, and I wouldn't be able to go get the book that I want, uh, and that oh, that would shit. be also fine. Uh, yeah. I could get it in two days, but. Uh, given the fact that there's no, like, whatever, whenever we decide this conversation is completed, it will be perfect exactly as it is. And uh, we will be able to improve by having the next one whenever we have that. We will. And let me invite you now, just any final words, any, anything you want to leave the listeners with in terms of, I guess, coping during this time? Uh I would. I will say first, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very happy to know you and be your friend and continue to get to know you and share this uh, this aspect of life together. And to listeners, uh, yeah, if with like in the model of the uh, the Talmud pocket papers, like if things are 
if things are going okay and easy, like then allow that to be like in any moment, in any day, if you're feeling okay, then great. And if you can, if you have the bandwidth or resources uh, to help, you know, help others lighten their load, then think about that if you want to, you know, whether it's your loved ones, people you live with, people in your community, people in the world, and also, if you're if you're in need, you know, if you're if you have love to offer, offer it. If you if you feel more that you're in a place where you'd like to call for love, you know, like ask people, uh, you know, be honest with yourself as much as you can and uh, and know that that's OK, because you're a human, perhaps uh, while you're listening to this, still in a pandemic, in whatever whatever circumstances are happening, the world is uh, is is a thing that can be challenging and chaotic and also, you know, beautiful and communal. And so uh, a thing I feel like, I don't know the first time I ever heard this or if I said it long ago, but I'm sure people say, you know, if you, if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. You are, you know, you are both your own experience and also everyone is, is going through, everyone is going through something. And if that is helpful, then I hope it is. And also, if nothing is helpful, it's okay if it's sad, if it if there's anger, if there's fear, if there's whatever the challenges that you're facing, like it I think that I think that you are doing your best. And if you think that you're not doing your best, then I think that you could improve a little. I agree with you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Sagar. That was Mike Kaplan. You can find him at MikeKaplan.com. That's Kaplan with a K. Mike spelled M-Y-Q. Once again, his album is AKA. If you're looking for some quality entertainment, please go there. AKA by Mike Kaplan on all platforms. If you want to talk to me, theanxietylab at gmail.com. I'm always here to listen to whatever you have to say, even if it's just a one-line note of, hey, I like this past episode. You could even put that in the subject. You don't even have to write an email. Or if you have a question, I've gotten some cool questions that I hope to be covering in upcoming episodes. So it's there if you want to use it. Uh, You don't have to. And uh, please throw me a rating. It only takes a few seconds if you log on to your Apple ID via computer or just via the Apple Podcast app. It's a way that I can get support from you on this podcast. I'm not asking for any Patreon or there's no ads at this point. So, yeah, if you could do me that favor, that'd be awesome. And either way, I wish you well. And until next time, bye.